Okay. Mm, I'm first. Okay. Wait, eating almond butter. I am Holly Whitaker. I am Laura McCowan. And this is Home Podcast. I almost wanted to say, Mi chiamo Holly. Um, <laughs> As of today, I'm 1% fluent in Italian, according to Duolingo. They asked me if I wanted to put it on my LinkedIn profile. Oh, that's what you sent me. I'm like, what is this? Why are you sending me a LinkedIn thing? Yeah. Clearly, you did high not achieve- open up the whole picture. It was a high achievement. I've been working a lot to get from 0% to 1% fluent in Italian, and I've got to tell you, it felt like a big deal. <laughs> Uh, so today, uh, we are, I'm in, I mean, this is coming from back in history. I haven't left for Hawaii, but in the future, when this, <laughs> when this airs, I will be in a tent meditating and not talking to people ugh, for 10 days. Um, yeah, when you listen to this, in Hawaii. Guys, send Holly, um, what do we send someone that isn't talking for 10 days? No, I think honestly the thing that's going to be the hardest for me is I'm going to want to run. I'm going to lose my goddamn fucking mind. I'm going to want to run to the Starbucks. And so I think if you could just maybe do some Tonglin for me and breathe in my suffering of having to sit still and reduce my food to two meals a day and I I don't know just I guess breathe in tolerance or breathe in my pain of being intolerant and breathe out tolerance it's not it's hard Manny I'm I'm so excited for you and I'm so excited I'm yeah lying if I said I wasn't a little afraid of what what will come out on the the other side (laughs) it'll be fine you know the first meditation retreat yeah the first meditation retreat I went to I my my first question was I mean I was you know I gave a shit about one thing and that was getting shit done and I asked James Barraz I he was talking about how we had to walk with our hearts forward and our head back and I walked I you know I I walk like a New Yorker I just I have no tolerance for slow walk I don't do anything slow and that was my first question my first question is was will I walk slower do I have to walk slower and then the next question I had was Will I not be as productive? Will I not be able to multitask? And so, um, and it's still a concern of mine. It still is. It's still a concern because I'm afraid of, you know, I am afraid. I love, I love my. Um, You're doing. Yeah. Well, my quickness. I love my, you know, my yeah. ability to, you know, and, and if I do a lot of meditation, man, I'll tell you, it does, it does tend to take me out of the game a little. So, yeah, we'll see. It will be something. We know that. Yeah. The next episode we record will be directly after that, so we will get to hear all about it. Or not. But we are talking, <laughs> or not, it will be the shortest episode ever. Um, but today we are int- introducing the conversation we, we just had with the beautiful, wonderful Scott oh, Stabile. God. Yeah. I don't, it was, what? What did you think? Oh, I didn't hear you. I um I really fell in love and I yeah I mean there's there's not much else to say than that I really really fell in love with with that human and I thought it was 
it's just one of those refreshing conversations that you have with somebody out there who, you know, has been through a lot, has been through an awful lot, and whose heart you can just feel on the other side. You know, he's in Panama, and, and his you can just, you can feel, you can feel the weight and the size of, of, of this man's compassion. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, the second that I saw him, too. Yeah. Oh, I know. We when we saw him over Skype, yeah, he's got the greatest smile, like megawatt smile. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what did Scott you think? Studio, same. I uh, he's beautiful. He's he was kind of what I expected. I mean, I've I've watched him do his talks. He does these great um, Facebook mentioned talks where he just kind of gets on and riffs about things. And I would tell you know anybody to to check him out his facebook page uh scott stabile and he does he puts out wonderful beautiful content he's got an amazing story the reason uh we want to talk to him is because he has experienced uh addiction um through directly through his family uh it's not you know he doesn't he doesn't have problems with drug addiction or alcohol addiction himself but he uh has experienced that through his his family and he's got an incredible story um, and something, just so much to, I just want to absorb <laughs> what he, what he has, you know, yeah. and what he's got to give. And, um, he was, be- he was beautiful. I love it. Yeah. And you want to tell everyone so a little bit about, share. about Scott and who he is and, and yeah. So he, yeah. So he's, um, we did talk, we, we sort of took a gap between, uh, I, what we know of him <laughs> is that he's a, a he's a writer and he's published a few different books. One of them uh, is called Just Love. It's like a, a beautiful coffee table book. Uh, and then he's published some other short stories and uh, and a novel. And um, he grew up in Detroit. He was part of a really big family. He's got a huge. I'll leave the the story to you know for him to tell, but. He's got a really um, unique and big story um, that brought him to this sort of place that he, you know, where he where he operates from now. Uh, he writes all about. He's the love guy. <laughs> he uh, talks all about love and compassion, and he um, does so from a vantage point of someone who's had to overcome a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, he's like a he's like a Glennon, or he's like a, he really basically he he writes he writes on HuffPo, he writes on his own blog, he has this book Just Love, um, he has a huge Facebook page where he does a lot of his communication through, and he also does live chats. I believe he's also a speaker, so he's, but he's the the same idea of 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 somebody that's out there in the world and same as Rob Bell and same you know I mean essentially we're all you know doing the same thing which is standing you know on our message and and using all tools that we can in order to get our message out in order to promote healing and that's that's what he is and he's just magnificent man so I loved this interview I thought it was a really beautiful conversation and like all of these things we touched on you know just like we did with um the one that's coming up next week you know we come on and we have a we have a set of questions but we end up really digging into these other components that we otherwise wouldn't get to talk about like today we talked about self-love and we talked about you know 
survival mode and yeah and and all sorts of things and and overcoming you know severe trauma and finding you know and finding love after going through horrific things and it's just it's it's yeah it was a great conversation and I'm a new I did not I did not know of him until you told me about him and so it's just another one of these wonderful right we get to bring each other and 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 everybody else these amazing people yeah and we're gonna meet him in person when we go to see rob bell and liz gilbert give a day-long workshop in la he's coming from panama to do it so we get to actually meet this person in person very soon in may oh so yeah i love how the universe works so i know yeah so this is scott and um we i think we just go right into it right Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I never talk to you guys again, if I spontaneously combust, it's been real. This is your last your last <laughs> gift. This is possibly my last episode. Uh, that's funny. All right. No, we'll know next week because we've got – we pre-recorded next week. So second to last possible. That'll be your post, Thomas. Post, you miss – however you say that. Production. Oh, God. That's- oh, no. no. Okay. I love this you. This might never be the same again. Who knows? All right. I love you too. Bye bye. Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, you too. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Happy Sunday. To you as well. I almost said, is it Sunday there? Of course it's Sunday. <laughs> it's Sunday. <laughs> He's not in. He's not in Hong Kong. We're actually Central Time, you know, so it's easy. Yeah. We're half the year. We're uh, we're Eastern time half the year, and then Central because we don't switch the clock, so we just turn to Central time. Oh, so cool! And you are yeah. in Panama City, Panama. Like we'll Panama, Panama. Panama, the country. Yeah. <laughs> Panama. I've been to Panama. I've been to Boca del Toro, so not really Panama, but close. It is Panama. Panama. You know, that's one place I haven't been. Oh my yet. god! How did you like it? Oh, it's, is it fantastic? It's fantastic. It's the coolest place in the world. Yeah. What is? What did you say? Boca del Toro. It's um, I can never say it. It's uh, Archipelago. I can never say it right. Um, it's a bunch of tiny islands, and you have to get everywhere by boat, and it's beautiful, and it's just like Lost. It's like oh, it's literally cool. just like the TV show Lost. It's crazy. People are. It's on our list. We've been to. We had a list of all the places while we were living here that we wanted to see, and that's the, the main one that's missing still. Yeah, so worth it. Yeah. Awesome. How long have you been there? It's been two years, just over two years. Cool. Yeah. It's oh, you've wild. been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. We moved here. My partner got a job here. He's a pilot, and oh. uh, we we came for the for his job because we thought let's get out of the country and have an adventure, and here we are. Oh, that's so cool. That yeah, so it's cool. been fun. Well, we're gonna put Panama City on our list now. <laughs> yes, you'll have. Please um, stay. We, we have a pullout couch. You're welcome to it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And, it, and I'm a good tour guide. Awesome. Be careful what you offer because we do take yeah. you offers. Yeah. <laughs> we have shown up before. So we're so excited to, to talk to you. And, you know, we were just talking before the episode started that you are the first person that we've talked to with this perspective. You're the second man on the show, first yeah. of all. That's it? Are it's you been serious? all yeah. yeah. And I can't and I well, yeah, and I 
um, I can't tell you who the other one is because it's super secret. No, he's surprise. the third because we had Rob Bell. There will, or he's the third, oh, yeah. but we're sorry. not airing the other one until April. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. But, anyway, we haven't had many, many men. So, yes. It, uh, you know, you should feel good about that. I'm very honored. <laughs> and uh, and we, we are the first person that we've talked to with this um, from the perspective of someone who has experienced, you know, addiction. Uh, has not experienced addiction firsthand themselves, although we both know that's not true. Like we're all addicted to something, but we're talking specifically about alcohol, drug yeah. addiction. And we wanted to talk to you because you have a really uh, amazing story um, of sort of how you, you know, what, how you come to do what you do in your message, um, but also, a, you know, pretty deep family story in addiction. So, yes. yeah, so I, um, you know, thank you for allowing us to, to talk to you about it. And I know it's something that's really, we get a lot of um, people contact us, not because they have experienced it themselves, but because they are, you know, they love someone or it's someone in their family or someone that they're married to. Um, and they're not, you know, they're not sure what to do. And so this is a great, this is an important conversation. So thanks. Oh, sure. Thank you guys. So, so you're, work so tell us about um your work and how you and how, what do you do exactly no what, like i like you're you're you know like tell us about how did you get to come to do what you do because i've just come across your work in the past year or so and um i always wonder about your story like how do you come to be what you are yeah sure like um well i'm guessing a lot of people listening have no idea who i am well, <laughs> you'd be surprised um, but I, you know, I, so I started this Facebook page. That's, that's where I'm putting a lot of my energy right now into, uh, my Facebook page, which has developed into an amazing community of a lot of people who are showing up there to, uh, to engage in, you know, dialogues about love and compassion and forgiveness and authenticity and all those things that I feel are um, critically important, you know, to being a fulfilled human being and to uh, serving the world, our planet, other people in a positive way. Um, but the page didn't, the page, didn't, the page actually started because I was going to say, one does not come screaming into the earth <laughs> talking about those things. No, no, no. So the Facebook page started because I had written a um, I self-published this young adult novel about a 16-year-old girl who falls in love with an alien. And uh, and I wanted to, so it was self-published. I thought, well, I've got to market it, you know, and this was a few years ago. So I thought, well, I'll have a Facebook page and I'll market it there and it'll sell, you know, millions of copies and everything's going to be great. So I started that page and learned very quickly that marketing this young adult novel about an alien love affair wasn't really what I wanted to be putting my time and energy into mm. to the 12 people <laughs> who, who liked my page. You didn't hit a million? <laughs> so, so then I thought, well, I have this page. What do I really want to be writing about? You know, what, what am I interested in talking about with this, um, you know, with this outlet? And I just started to post little things about, um, you know, about love or about happiness. And it was always very positive, you know, these little, you know, one line about, you know, be loved wherever you are, you know, all the yeah. things you see on all of these pages, all the, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of pages out there and a lot of people doing the type of work I'm doing. Um, so when was this book though? Like how long ago was that? 
That was about three years ago. Okay, so not too long. No, not too long. No, and then and then what I noticed was that the page was was growing, not having anything to do with the book, but because people were responding to these positive messages, you know, about my perspectives on life or whatever it was. And then um, it started growing and growing and growing. And then I got a comment from a woman that really, uh, really moved me. I mean, it really provoked me and then moved me and it shifted the whole direction of the page. I don't remember what I posted at the time, but she left a comment saying, um, you know, Scott, not all of us are as happy as you are all the time. Some of us are really struggling in our lives. And I thought, I mean, my immediate reaction, I felt totally misunderstood because I'm, I'm like, I'm struggling all the time. Are you kidding me? Like, I don't, I'm moody, I'm angry, I'm grumpy. I'm all these things that we all are. Um, but I realized in the moment that, and I also felt really bad because the whole point of the page at that point was to help people feel better about themselves and to give them a little dose of, you know, positive energy. And my posts were having the adverse effect on this, on this woman. Yeah. And, and granted, I know we can't own, I don't believe we can own people's response to us. We can just, you know, we can be who we are in the world and, and how people respond to us is their choice. But it really did, it stopped me and it made me look at what I was doing and how I was going about doing what I was doing. And I realized um, maybe it's time to, to share a little bit more of my story instead of just a pretty picture with really optimistic kind of Pollyanna-ish words. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you hadn't, you hadn't talked about your story at all. Excuse me. No, no, not at all. In the beginning, wow. not at all. Um, and then I started to talk more about my insecurities, my fears, my anger, you know, all the different things that we all have. And what I noticed then was that people were starting to connect in a completely different way on the page and that the comments were I was off so often reading, it's so nice to know I'm not alone. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going through the same thing. Um, you know, all of those types of things where I feel like that's when we really start to connect with each other. It's not when life is perfect because life is never perfect. And it's when we're, we start to have an openness and a willingness to share what's, you know, what's beyond the facade, you right. know, what's deeper. Right. Um, which you guys know, that's what you're doing with this podcast. Um, and then, yeah, and then the page just started to to take off in a really cool way. And, and that's um, that's where I'm putting a lot of my energy. It's been in, in growing that community. I And I released, well, I don't know, do you want me to, I mean, do you want me to tell you more well, of this, like, meat of my story? Well, yeah, so I want to, so I, I am we do want to know, you know, what you're doing now, but I think what we want to know is behind it because you have your, your message, you know, your sort of tagline is just love. And you talk a lot about love or that's the title of your book. And I feel like it is like, it is, it's a, it's the tagline in your emails. <laughs> I know that. And you're, it's sort of your underlying, you, know, you say, I want to spread as much love as possible, but yes. your story yeah, I do want you to talk to talk about your story, and we want to we want to get into that. You know how okay. how did you come to that? From how, how, where's where's that come from? Because um, it's not like candy store, you know, cute. Right. <laughs> uh, just love, you know. Here's the totally, here's a, totally. Well, I will look. I'll 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 jump back like twenty years, and then we can probably jump back before then as well. 
Um, you know, I, when I, well, no, I'll jump back even before 20 years. So I lost my parents when I was 14. Mm -hmm. They were shot to death in Detroit. And before that time, leading up to that, I lived with, uh, you know, I, I'm the youngest of seven kids. And I grew up with a brother who was addicted to heroin my entire life because he was 18 years older than I am. And he, uh, so I had only known him as an addict, a heroin addict. And, and he died. Seven kids? Yeah, I was the youngest of seven. Oh. Six still living because that brother, um, he OD'd in 94. And then I grew up with a father who was a gambling addict. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is a, you know, gambling's a weird, a weird addiction to grow up in and around yeah. because it's, uh, I think addiction, it built into addiction is instability, certainly. And there's, there's a different kind of instability that comes with gambling. It's almost like one week you're rich and the next week you're broke. And yeah. it's this roller coaster of, of, I mean, just financial stability and, um, yeah. and that, that your life I mean, changes significantly. I mean, I, I experienced that those extremes too. And was it like you lived very differently when he, when there was a lot of money and then it things changed when there wasn't? Yes. I mean, to, yes, there was that element and just the, the idea. I mean, my dad was heavily involved in gambling and was also a bookie. And, you know, at the time I have memories of, of he had three phones in his office and it was always, you know, being called and having like reading the scores in the newspaper, like who won this game, who won, you know, that was, that was such a big part of our lives that it was so as, as unusual as I knew it was when I would go to my friend's homes it was so normal. It was, it was the undercurrent to everything that went on in our household was around gambling and watching sports and playing poker and going to Vegas. And, you know, when, when the, my siblings turned 21, that was the big trip. My parents would take you to Vegas and you were kind of broken in to, huh. you know, the world of legal gambling. <clears throat> it was you know, just, it was, did you know it was, illegal like or, or not illegal to, to gamble but did you know it was a problem like did you did you sense that there was like a darkness to it absolutely and it was illegal I mean being a bookie was illegal I mean right. I didn't know what my dad was doing at the time was illegal I had no real awareness of that um, but I knew that what he was creating in our household was problematic I mean I hated my dad my mm -hmm. whole I mean my whole life before he died okay. um, Big time, and I hated my brother. You what know, was because the hate about? Was was it? What what was that like? Like how did? I think for me with him, a lot of that hate was I. He didn't pay any attention to me. You know, which didn't and 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 I. I don't know if I equated it consciously on you know his life choices and that you know gambling was his life. Yeah. It was it it was everything. Um, and so I didn't have any relationship with him. And I also recognized that the choices he was making around gambling was creating a really unstable, not okay environment in our household. Right. You know, and I, I resented him for that. And was, um, what was the dynamic like with your, with the, the I mean, with seven kids, right? Was it something that you guys talked about to each other? Well, you know, I was the, my, the four eldest 
the th my three eldest brothers were out of the house before I was born. So they, you know, my eldest brother's 21 years older and then 20 years and 18 years and my eldest sister's 16 years and she got married when I was three. So there were really only three of us growing up and no, we didn't really talk about it or I sh they didn't talk about it with me. You know, when you're the youngest, any bit of information you glean is usually by eavesdropping and trying to piece things together on your own. Yeah. And my sister at the time, the one closest to me who's five years older, we hated each other. You know, we just fought, we were, we just fought and we didn't like each other anyway. anyway. So we weren't really sharing intimate details about anything. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of my childhood, I really felt, um, was kind of solitary, even though I'm one of many kids, I yeah. spent a lot of time alone. And what was, was your, what was your, your, um, where was your mom in all of this? She was, it's funny because I was, I was talking with my, my sister. I'm very, my, my siblings were all very close and with, especially with my three sisters. And we were talking recently and how she always resented me because she saw me as such a mama's boy and so spoiled and so taken care of and didn't really realize that my whole, my experience of, of my childhood was that I was alone, that I was, you know, neglected and, you know, kind of just making it up as I went. And I think that that isn't entirely true because I do think my mom loved me and cared about me. And, but she, you know, she, she fell in line with, my dad's choices and not in a, like he wasn't in any way abusive. He was a gentle man. Um, but she didn't, you know, if I, if I look at the, pardon me, she was complicit. She was absolutely complicit. And when I, you know, I can look at my parents now through, not just through the, the eyes of, of an adult, but through the eyes of, of an adult who's, I, I, who's compassionate and, and has much more wisdom to carry into why people do what they do or, and, and I see, with less judgment than I have before that they, they were just terrible parents, honestly, like they, the situations that, that were created from, from my father's choices and my mother being complicit in them, it was just so not okay, yeah. you know, so crazy, truly. It was, yeah. So what, um, what was the, like the, so the, the they got, they got shot in uh, a grocery store. Is that what I heard? Or was yeah, that what I read? A, yeah. Yeah, they had a market in Detroit that in a pretty, owned? pretty that they owned. Yeah, oh, okay. in a pretty rough neighborhood of Detroit, and um, they, along with one of their employees, they were, were murdered one morning, before right before opening. Wow, and you, yeah. and you, and your you were with your brother, your family when you found out, like you were with your. Yeah, I was with my, I was, I had spent the weekend with my eldest sister and we, we heard that my parents' car was outside the store, but that the gate was down and knew something was not right. Mm -hmm. So we went to, excuse me, we went to my brother-in-law's restaurant and my other sister was there and we were waiting because my other brother was going to kind of, find out what was going on and he came and and told us all I, you know that they they yeah it was it was uh i mean obviously a horrible <laughs> moment in uh in my life so anyway that's uh yeah that's what happened that's how so it went down before what? before we move on there one, one question when you when you talk about it now i'm assuming you talk about it 
a fair amount. Like, is it is it hard for us? I mean, do you talk? Do you talk about it when we, you know, when we ask you something like that now and, and talking about it now? Is it still hard to talk about? Because I, for me, and I'm asking because. I can't even imagine. I've never had anything even close to that happening in my life. And so I'm just curious, is that? Well, I think it, you know, no, usually no. Uh, you know, generally it's not that hard for me to talk about. I mean, it can depend on the mood and the, the reason it's being brought up. I mean, I yeah. knew we would be talking about it right. in as a part of this podcast. So, but, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes it's heavy. Yeah. You know, it's, it, this is, it's been 30 this was in 85. It's yeah. been 31 years. Um, but it's, you know, those, those wounds run deep. And it, it's interesting just being, just knowing we were going to, I was going to be doing this podcast with you today. And I've been feeling, I've been feeling a little nervous about it, but then also been feeling a little unsettled because I've been sitting in the energy, not just of my parents' death, but of, of the addiction of yes. my brother's addiction and of my father's addiction and of the, um, the, the trauma it created in our family. And it, yeah. it's, uh, it's just such a reminder to me how, you know, I think healing happens in stages and I don't think, I, I think our wounds are always with us to some degree. And I was feeling my wounds today. And I've done a lot, you know, in some respects, I've done a lot of work on myself and, in, and have to some degree healed a lot of pain just in my willingness to kind of look at it and be honest with it. Yeah. Um, but I see that it's still there, you know, yeah. and, I, and, and it's heavy, you know, yeah. and it's ugly. I think that's so important, though, to say is like it's still there. It doesn't, you know, and and you've like learned how to sit with it and recognize what it is, but it's still there. It's still there. Yeah, it will always be there. I don't imagine I will die without having having completely healed the fact that my parents were murdered, you know, yeah. or that my brother OD'd on heroin. I mean, yeah. those things. Um, and and in in I actually think it's it's an unwillingness in so many of us, uh, in all of us to, to look at our pain and be honest with our pain that leads so many of us to addiction. You know, I think yeah. that, that we numb and we escape because we're so afraid of just being honest with what's going on inside and sitting with it and yeah. being present with it and acknowledging it and also knowing it's okay. It's okay to feel like shit about this right now. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to, you know, rage. All of it, whatever it is that you're feeling, but uh, it, it's so much easier to just numb and escape, and and then, you know, we don't, I don't, we don't ultimately serve ourselves by doing that, obviously. So what? Yeah, because I, you know, I, me. I'm so interested, and I know Holly is too. Is the time in between that, and I wanted to get talk about your brother too. The time in between that and who you are today. Uh, and I don't expect you, you know, that's not a question per se, but I want, you know, I want to talk about that space in between because I am so your words and your, your, your energy, the energy that you project on your page and your writing is such a compassionate and loving and, and forgiving energy. And that's what makes, you know, that makes your, your story so compelling to me. Hal, you want to say something? Yeah, no, I just, when I was so struck in that, I, there was this really beautiful talk, and I can't remember which one it is. It's, it's a Pema talk, and she talks about how the Dalai Lama 
how and Laura, you'll probably be more familiar with this than I am, but how he has one there's one thing that he carries with him and I, I think he had some counsel with some young man that led to that young man's death and the part about this is that he talks about is that he carries that pain with him he carries that he, he doesn't you, you know he speaks about this like you just don't get over that you just don't get over certain things you just don't but you can either let it he talks about it in a way and she and it's it's her speaking about it um in second person after hearing him but but this you know we can carry these things with us we can either let it stop us we can either let it you know we can either turn away from it or run away from it Mm -hmm. or we can actually use it to keep our hearts open as we move forward and use it as an instrument that wound is an instrument um in order to to serve right yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's so what it is it's it's her like central talk about you know about um that the moment, the pain that where we can use it just what you said um and that's her practice of tonglen you know when when we our natural instinct when we experience pain is to harden against it to protect ourselves from yeah, pain sure. um, she said that you know that that uh, um, moment shenpa uh, moment where it's you don't have a story about it yet it's just the pain um we can also use it to to soften our hearts too and she and she talk, pema talks about it in terms of anything, you know, things like you are talking about, not just, you know, any range of trauma, any range of loss, any range of uh, betrayal, any range of pain. Yeah, because we all, I mean, you know, you, you, not everyone's had their parents murdered, but everyone knows grief. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knows loss. Everyone knows heartbreak, mm-hmm. at least when you get to a certain age, you know, you know, we all know these things in the way that we know them. And, we are all, if we choose to, able to um, to empathize with others from our own place in that story. And that's when I was saying earlier about sharing more of my story in with the Facebook community. Um, I, I realized, and it's in some ways it makes me laugh, even though I I totally get it. And I also, when I I've also been on the other side of feeling this way. You know, when, when people tell me because I've posted things about my parents, and anytime I do it's new information to people, to some of the people, you know, and, and, and the comment, so many comments will inevitably be, wow, this makes what you write about so much more powerful for me, mm-hmm. knowing that this is where you come from to get to that place. And I laugh to myself because I'm thinking it's not enough to just be, you know, to be as loving as you can be. Cheery. Parents you have to qualify. Yeah. <laughs> you you have to have a good qualifying story. Exactly. But I, I also I also understand that 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 is a part of who I am and that for some people that is a reason they're going to respond to what I'm that will be the sole reason they're going to respond to what I'm saying, simply because they know I have been through something like that. The the same way that some some addicts out there will only respond to you guys because you both understand that experience from a first you know in a first person way. And I get it, you know, some that's that's what it takes. Yeah, that transmission line between two people who have shared experience well it's also more believable too i mean you're talking about get here just love and a lot of people are like fuck you right but if you're actually like well no i (laughs) i came from here you know it it really does bring a level of it brings it brings i guess attainability you know people people need to see you know it, it it's possible for them as well and that's what it lends is that possibility absolutely 
Absolutely. I have a, my, my, a very good friend of mine. He's, fu- he's very funny. And he, um, he was telling me a story because I guess some of his, he says he loves it if anyone he knows gives him shit about his friend who's like the self-help guy, meaning me. And, and Stephen will be like, Stephen, will, Stephen tells oh, me, yeah. he's like, I look at him, he's like, bitch, that, that, he's like, that boy's parents were murdered when he was 14 years old. So you shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, he's like, and that always shuts him up. So the self-help guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the just love guy. Yeah. The just love guy. It is funny. It is funny to me that that's uh, who I am or who I whom I've become. I love it. I mean, I love it. I'm. I love what I'm doing, and I love the the feeling of what I'm doing. But there, you know, when, when my ego comes into play, sometimes it's like, this is so cheesy. You're so <laughs> this is so silly. People are looking at you like you're some weirdo. Whatever. I'm not gonna let that stop me. I've never let being cheesy stop me from doing what I wanted to do in the past. I think it's amazing. To I do that. too. I do too. So can we walk through a little bit more of the of the story? So so this happened in eighty five. That was in eighty five. Okay, and then and then tell us the story of your brother and and what that experience was. You know, both both growing up with him, um, or he was out of the house, I guess. Um, but what your experience is of being his brother? Yeah. Well, it was, so he was, you know, he wasn't living in the house. He would come back and have stints in the home. But I mean, my experience of him as a brother was as uh, he, he was addicted to heroin. And so his, you know, when he would visit, uh, it was, it was like locked down in the house. You put away any valuables, you make sure you have your eyes on him at all time. Uh, that's another, I mean, another, I was talking about stability and instability in terms of gambling. It was certainly that way in, in terms of my brother as well. Um, the, the difference it's with my brother, it was more, um, it just felt so tragic, you know, with, uh, with my father and his gambling, it became such a part of our daily lives that we just, we lived with it. You know, that was all we knew with my brother. It was like, we knew he was on the streets of Detroit somewhere when he wasn't home, when he'd be gone for months at a time and, and we wouldn't see him. We knew he was, you know, in the throes of his addiction doing who knows what, who knows where. Um, and, how was it talked about in your house? I mean, how what, what did they say about him? What your mom? I mean, only that. And again, you know, I was young, you know, because I was when my parent when my parents died, I was fourteen. So up until that point, we all knew Ricky it was talked. I think openly, and that we all knew he was a heroin addict. And Ricky would talk openly about it. He wasn't someone who was in any way in denial of what was going on. He tried to. Um, you know, he tried, he went to rehabs countless times, you know, he tried to clean himself up countless times and he always went back to heroin. How did Um, you feel about it? Were you like, that's disgusting. That's yeah. Angry. angry. Yeah. You know, I, I saw my dad cry two times in my life and it was about my brother. You know, I, I eavesdropped on a phone call, uh, that my, you know, when my, father called and my mother picked up the phone crying because he had broken in and stolen all of her jewelry. You know, so my, my, I equate, and here's the thing about my brother is that he was an incredibly loving soul, like in very sweet, very uh, big smile. Um, he was easy to love, but I equated, I, I grew to view him as just a junkie. You know, that became more, even more so than a brother 
just a junkie who created problems for my family, you know, who brought my parents to tears, who stole from us, who, and, and couldn't in any way at the time make sense of why he couldn't just stop using heroin. You know what I mean? I couldn't really wrap my mind around at such a young age, like why, why he couldn't just stop? Like, why would he create so many problems and such heartbreak, you know? Um, Yeah. What, um, what, are what are what have you done you know since then like okay so so when did that happen timing wise um well he died in 94 so my parents died in 85 and then he died in 94 and it was i i think for our whole family all the siblings i i knew i would get a call one day saying that ricky was dead i and it was never a question and that when and i was living in san francisco at the time it was a year after i had graduated college and there was a message from my sister and I heard it in her voice and, and I knew Ricky was dead and I called her and, and she said, and, and it was, you know, there's, there's a relief to that because I didn't believe, and this is different from how I feel now, but I didn't believe I had also come to a place of healing with my brother by that point where I, um, I, I had forgiven him. You know, I had I I had for, I had released him of the responsibility in my head, and I know there's a lot of um, I don't know where you two are in this um, in this belief, but I know the the notion of addiction as a disease has a lot of people who believe it and a lot of people who don't. And at that time in my life, I believed without a doubt that addiction was a disease, and it helped me to forgive my brother for for his choices. How did you get there? To, how did you arrive to that? That place of, of but believing it was an, a disease. I mean, did you do? Did you? Yeah, I think it was just going through college, doing a little more. Um, I don't even. I don't. Yeah, talking about it, doing a little more reading up on it, and and that was kind of the. It, this was in the '90s. That was at least in my world the new understood way of viewing addiction. Yeah. You know, and so I accepted that. Yep. Um, I have different. I mean, I don't. Know, I have different thoughts about that whole that whole idea now, but, um, but at that, (laughs) (laughs) what are they? Yeah. We want to know what, what are they? I mean, we talk about this all the time. So, and anything you say is, is Is fine and safe and right. And all opinions welcome. Thank thank. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't think addiction is a disease in the way that I thought it was then. I think, I don't think addiction is a disease in the way I see cancer as a disease. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, I, I think there is more choice in moving beyond addiction than there is in, you know, I I think that sobriety, inherent in sobriety is choice, is the constant choice, you know, over and over throughout a day, every day. It's about making the choice to stay sober. And so with, you know, with a disease like cancer, you can't just decide, I'm done with cancer, you know, and then it's out of your body. It doesn't operate in that way. So I think there's an element. I don't believe that addiction is a choice in that who the fuck would choose to become addicted to something. I think that it creeps up on you in this insidious way based on other choices you've made. And then suddenly you find you're addicted. I don't think people are out there choosing addiction, but I do think they're choosing sobriety. And I think that choice is absolutely involved in what leads us to, you know, like we choose to drink, we choose to do drugs, we choose to binge eat, whatever it is we're choosing. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, or, yeah. no, I, it's, it's very well said. Um, I thought we, so too. 
<laughs> yeah, and we we could make a whole episode on that, and we have. Before. I'm sure. I'm not <laughs> but, sure. Uh, actually, but we it, never have. We've never. Actually, no, we mm-hmm. haven't done that yet. No. And it, it, we, we will. <laughs> we will, and we sort of broached it with this um, little dear sugar episode, but, but yeah, we won't th- go there. I think what I think when I, I love everything that you said about it. I think one good distinction is is one of the things that we do so poorly in society is um, is that we really we equate the symptoms we equate the symptoms with the individual. We we equate the bad behavior with the individual, and totally. a lot of times that's what makes it so painful and such yeah. a an alienating, stigmatizing, and um, it's just, it, I think that's probably one of the, the parts that, like what you were saying, it's, you know, like what your experience was with your brother was the symptoms of something that, you know, disease or no disease, the symptoms of something that he was, you know, stuck in and deeply suffering from and wouldn't have chosen, um, is what we end up equating the person with, which makes, um, which especially makes with so muddy and, um, anyway, but I, I thought that, you no, know, especially with the specific to, to drug addiction, I mean, yeah. and, and alcohol you know an alcohol addiction is a whole other you know thing that it's similar though that we you know there's there's a view that it's dirty and you know like you said just a junkie and absolutely yeah Yeah. no absolutely and that was a really for me a very I mean a healing place to get to with my brother um because when I when I think of him now it's not even it the as a junkie doesn't even come to mind he was that I, I spent years of my life defining him as that, yeah. you know, and then there's so many, there's so many wonderful qualities about my brother and a person is never their habits. Obviously the essence of any human being is not rooted in, in the choices they make about substances or shopping or this or that, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it took me when he died, I was still in that, the, the thing that got me there was believing he had no choice in the matter. The thing but then, that got you to forgiving him. The thing Release that got me to forgiving him in my in my 20s and in understanding him in, di- in a different way was believing he had no choice in what was going on. But then later in my life, I, I, I came to a very different view with my brother. I don't, I don't, because I don't view addiction as a disease in that way, I believe that, yeah, he had choices. He, you know, he, he had choices in his life. But how I've come to view my brother is, um, I, I think he was just a, a truly hypersensitive human being and who, who could not deal with reality. And he could not deal with the reality, he couldn't deal with the reality of his life in any way that allowed him to be there sober and well, conscious he found something that worked right he found, he found something that worked yeah. exactly yeah when you had said that when you said that he was <laughs> there he was so lovable and and so sensitive and and i think um there's this really we'll have to post a link to this when we post this episode up but there's this really beautiful uh piece that glennon melton talked about the he called she calls you know those that suffer from addiction and and mental disease uh the canary in the coal mine the canary, yeah. did you read, read that isn't oh that? i'm obsessed with yeah. <laughs> like seriously. Me like, too. Seriously. Me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I. I know. What did you I, think you... of that piece? I mean, did that? Did that? When you read that, I'm assuming it was really a personal piece for you to read. What did you? Did you agree with what she had said in that? I think it's spot on. Yeah. I really do, and I think she's such a beautiful representation of that truth. Yeah. That's um, you know, that this is the thing, though. Honestly, I don't. I don't see. 
much of a distinction between any of us. I don't think that the, that an addict is any different than anybody else. I think that we're all, you know, we're all, we're all struggling to make sense of a very fucked up reality and we're all doing whatever we can do within that. And so we're all turning to whatever we turn to, to help us get through it, but to, um, to carry, to carry judgment. And I do hear you guys. I know that there's, um, that people see addicts as, as, you know, dirty or, um, whatever other yeah. words you want to use, you know, but there's no distinction. We're all, I just think that we're all, the thing I've come to see more than anything with the Facebook community is how, how all the same we really are. Yeah. Like when, when you scrape away the facades and you get down to our insecurities, our fears, the things that bring us joy, the, the desire for love and connection, it is all exactly the same in human beings. Yeah. And if we can just recognize that and start connecting with each other from that place, you know, looking at the person in front of you and recognizing through these, like with compassion, like you are me, I am you. Right. Let's connect from that place and see where we can go. Yeah, we, um, there, I, I've talked recently, uh, I was talking to a friend about whether he thought, you know, uh, and he's someone who is in, a, in AA and said, do you think it's a disease? And he said, and he said something so amazing and I sort of used it now, um, is that it, it's an instinct. It's an, an instinct that's gone awry, you know, an instinct to soothe and it's, an, it's a human, a human instinct to soothe, to belong, to, um, connect to, you know, we, we use drugs and, and drink for so many reasons, both social and um, medicinal and numbing and, you know, all kinds of reasons that, and yeah. some are more innocent than others, a lot more innocent or seemingly innocent. And it's an instinct that's gone awry. And I think, um, you know, it, it, the, it's just so happens that the, the impact of that particular, those particular substances, uh, could kill you <laughs> yeah, among other things and is, yeah. is social you know is, is socially yeah. shamed shamed by society and what I, i'm assuming you're also kind of what you're saying is is as well as that everybody has that instinct on some level it just right, the flavor right. of it changes from person to person absolutely and, and, and on, yeah, on your page yeah and most people are in are engaging that instinct it's not just yeah. that they have it i think that oh, they're right. that we're it's all just, like yeah. it's happening all over the place yeah. in all different ways yeah. did you do you um did you read, I don't know, if you guys know the book Chasing the Scream? Yeah. <laughs> I just downloaded it, but haven't read it. But I oh, my God, you have to read it. So good. No, I want to because I read um, an article by the writer, yeah. and it was stunning. He was talking about those rat experiments. Do you rat, guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Rat Park. Old. Or no, rat it's not Park. Old, but yeah, Rat Park. Mm -hmm. and, um, and how fantastic that was to see you know, if you give people other options that, you know, this is my, my whole view on, I think, spirituality and, and all of it is that we're, we are desperate for connection. Yeah. And, you know, we are, we are desperate on a, on a deep level for healing. And that when we, when we numb ourselves, when we escape, when we, when we do make unhealthy choices, it's because we are we are running from looking at the truth of the pain that that lives within us, yeah. and and we feel unconnected, we disconnected, we feel lonely, whatever it is. But the more healing we do, and the more um, and this is I mean we haven't really talked a lot about love, but I believe 
that love is the base note to all of it, to everything good, to compassion and kindness and forgiveness and authenticity, which is rooted in self-love. And that the more energy, that's why I've become a junkie uh, on, oh, sorry, <laughs> isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, basically, but that's, that's why my, you know, my focus is on love because I've seen the good that love does. I've seen the power. I've seen the choices that love informs. I've seen the connection that love allows. And um, it changes lives. And when we feel more whole, when we feel more fulfilled in our lives, we tend to make choices that are healthier across the board. I think that's just, that's how it works. That's so you know, true. Well, I think our bodies, I think we, we have a tendency to move towards healing. Humans do, you know, if given that if, if we want to, you know, we, it's yes. like an instinct to survive. We have an instinct to move towards healing uh, our bodies and our, and our minds and our spirits. I do, I do think so. I think I totally, I love the way you said that. Cool, cool. What, um, so what, well, for you, you know, through, so, so you're 14 and then you're, you know, 25 or so. And 23. was your, <laughs> sorry, I did the 23, math. you're right. No, nine years. You're right. You're right. <laughs> And you're 45 now. Sorry. <laughs> Holly's got your spreadsheet. I'm 44. She's a spiritual. She's uh, like a spiritual guru that is actually um, has trained a, in accounting. Yeah. Is so. trained in accounting. She's a, she's a, she's a total unicorn. Combination. Um. So. <laughs> well, I'll say because I think the one thing you asked me before that I haven't I'll really quickly say that. No, don't be the, okay, all right. The years after my parents' death, the, the only way I survived it, and I didn't even do this consciously, I completely buried the entire experience. So it was, and I'm so, reality was created, and however that worked out, that, that I made that choice. And I was a very, you know, an all-A student and went to a good college, and I just, I locked it away in about once a year. I would have a hysterical crying fit and then it would get locked away again and I, you know, I lived my life, I was very social, had lots of friends, you know, just, just did all that and was always smiling. And Was that like your addiction? I mean, was that a, was that real? You know, it was, in, well, I would say, I would say yes and no, but it became less real the older I got. And that's well, when I needed like to make survival, a shift. Right? I think it was survival. It was survival. Yeah. Total survival. It was all, Yeah, no, that, I get that. I just I wonder I, I wonder if it felt, you know, if it felt real to you or if it felt locked, you know. It, you no, know, I think it felt real to me when, definitely through high school, definitely through college. I think it felt very real to me because I I I had convinced amazing. myself that I guess I'd process my parents' death. You know, these cries once a year were enough, but I was living my life. I had friends. I was doing well in school. You know, all these things were happening in the way that normal things were happening. That said, I was completely um, secretive about the fact that I was an orphan. I mean, I would manipulate any conversation that could even remotely touch on parent dialogue. I would shift it and turn it so that I didn't want anyone to know I didn't have parents because it, I felt like a complete freak. It was totally not the norm. You know, it was not an okay thing. And I knew the reaction of people when they found out and I didn't want to be pitied and I didn't want to be this outsider freak, which is how I felt. Yeah. Um, so, so aside from hiding this big secret that eventually would come out, you know, with close friends, um, 
no, my life was pretty, pretty normal. And then I'm like, and then I had a, a complete mental breakdown in, in my first year in San Francisco. Where I was one, wondering, I was like, is, was there a thing? Was there like a, a, a time when this crashed? It crashed in, I had, it was my first year after college. It actually crashed at Mardi Gras. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, one night out with some friends and very drunk and we all, all got separated and I don't remember exactly what, what spurred it, but it was usually brought on by being very drunk when I would have these hysterical crying fits mm-hmm. um, when I would just let go. And it happened at Mardi Gras. And I just remember being on the payphone in the midst of all the insanity and calling a friend from college and crying hysterically. And I was set to go home the next day. And I I did make it home, but then was crying for three days straight, just locked in my bedroom. And I thought I am, I it's, I'm losing my mind. Like there's no way out of this feeling. It's not going to, you know, it's, it was one of those moments where I felt like this isn't stopping. Usually it stops after like four hours and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I really thought I was losing my mind. It's really, I would say the, it's the only time to that degree where I thought I'm losing my mind. Like something is breaking inside and I picked up the yellow pages and literally closed my eyes and pointed my finger in the psychologist on a page of psychologists and called the person that I pointed to and had at the time and you know, was able to afford six sessions with her over the course of six weeks. And it, it completely, it, it grounded me again, you know, in feeling like, and, and it, we were talking about my parents. This was the, interestingly enough with my my family, we never talked about my parents, my siblings and I, after they died. It was really strange. And I felt like we all went to that place in our own way where it was very rare for us to, sometimes they'd be mentioned, you know, when we were gathered for holidays, but in general, we weren't reminiscing. We weren't sharing stories. We just were, we were all like, processing it in a very solitary way I think yeah and the same like all, all, each of you did that one we person each did wasn't, it. one person wasn't going what the fuck why is yeah, somebody no, talking exactly so yeah. it was kind of strange that we all we all went there I think that's what the shock of it all did to us and it's how we how we coped yeah um so that so that was the uh yeah so then the, I got grounded there and then I got and then this kind of leads me into the the love the next the next phase is the love phase <laughs> we are now entering the love phase <laughs> on the love boat yeah exactly but i i was living in san francisco it was my my second year there and i i got a job at a store um, that was called Planet Weaver's Treasure Store. It's no longer open, <laughs> but it was very new age stores. You can imagine it was in the heart of the Upper Hate, which was like, you know, hippie, grungy, central. Everyone trying to sell you pot mushrooms on the street, kind of dirty and whatever. And then you walk into Planet Weaver's and you hear the meditation music or world music and drums, and everything smells beautiful and incense are burning. And I got a job there, and it was fantastic, and I loved it, and I started befriending all these people who were working there and they were and they were all talking about love and peace and then I became they they asked me to be the manager of the book section and all the books were you know self-help new age style books yeah and it was this was my first 
real foray into this world. Like I did not, I was completely oblivious to this world before that time. And did you embrace it? Like, were you drawn to it? Obviously you were, you ended up working at this store. I I melted into it. Are you, it was like coming, (laughs) I'm I'm serious. It was like, I can't believe this exists in this way. I'm going to live here and sleep. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't believe people are talking about wanting to be more loving as their primary goal in life. Like I had never, it wasn't that I wasn't around loving people before that, but I'd never seen it as the mission. You know, I certainly had never heard about enlightenment as the, as a mission. And it was this world that it was, it was truly like coming home. It was a world that resonated with me immediately and deeply. And, um, that was a real, uh, that was a real trigger that really opened me up to a, a new way of thinking and a new way of being. And, and I remember going out to lunch with um, a friend who was the manager of the store at the time. And I was, you know, bitching about some argument with someone. I don't really remember all the details. And at one point she just kind of put her hand over mine and she said, Scott, she said, there's no justification for lack of love. And, oh, I read that in one of your articles. Yeah. And the, but that, that was one of those moments, you know, when sometimes, we could be told yeah. something. something oh, yeah. You could hear that and roll your eyes. Exactly. Surprised. That yeah. was one of those moments. It, it just entered. You know, she said it again and I'm like, everything in my body was like, okay, this makes total sense to me. Yeah. That anytime I am trying to justify behavior that doesn't in some way reflect love, it's my mind's bullshit. It's my mm-hmm. ego's bullshit. And, and that that is not how I want to live my life. So, so it's always worth looking, you know, this is what I tell myself. It's always worth looking at. Like if you're not coming from love, what's the story there? You know, what is the reason why? And you're in, you are, you're going to find, I've always found that it's, it's my ego, you know, it's, and that funny is that statement sounds really squishy. uh the, you know, there's no justification for a lack of love, but it is, that is doing that work is the hardest thing in the world. Absolutely. It is the hardest thing in the world. It is the hardest thing in the world, especially if you follow politics right now. (laughs) Oh God. Well, I, I was talking to Holly, you know, we, we always talk for like 30 minutes before, sometimes longer before we have these, these, and we just kind of catch up and, and get ready. And I was spewing this sort of unloving Sentiment. Sort of. I mean, I don't do that very often, right? I don't do that. It was it no, was, you don't. It, you don't. She really don't. I, but it, it, but it's, it was, it was in me, and then you know, and sometimes you just have to get. Yeah, sometimes out. you and have to get it out, and then it's over. Um, but it is, it's amazing the opportunities we have to practice all the time, all the time. It reminds God. me of the Marianne Williamson quote, which is, "Everything is either love or a call for love." And I love that one because it's just, it's not only for you, it's not only for other people's behavior and being able to say, you know, their, their meanness is, or whatever is coming from a place of lack of love, but it also is in your own way of approaching things, a really good check, you know, like either, either I'm giving love or I am screaming for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I really believe that. And I see, and that's why, I mean, I, I, try to make as much noise for love as I can because I have seen in my own life what it has done for me and, and, and how, and I've seen it personally. And I, you know, just, if you pay attention and you witness the power of love, it's a, it's a profound 
power in the way that it helps us connect with others and connect with ourselves. Uh-huh. You know, Are you it's a it, person? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a religious person at all at, at, in any way, but um, yes, I would say I'm a, I, I would describe myself as a deeply spiritual person. But what does that even mean, I guess? I mean, um, it's not, it, for me, I, I see, I, I believe that when I'm, con- when I'm at my most peaceful and when I am rooted in like the, the deepest level of love or stillness and connecting from that space, it feels divine. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's rooted in just my humanity, if that makes sense. Yeah. It feels like it, there's, a, there's a bigger force at hand. So for me, that, that's my spirituality. It's not like a God-like figure and it. it's more of, it's the underlying energy that vibrates beyond all of it, beyond all of this noise and beyond just this planet. Yeah. You know, and I think that in that in that vibration, there's a perfection, and there's a beauty, and um, and it's divine. So you need to talk to Rob Bell. <laughs> I would love to talk you to Rob. Yeah. You guys almost have the same um, the same way, and in, in like if there's a certain vibe that you both have, that's really neat. Cool. That's Very a big compliment. Thank you. You're gonna meet. I've only re- yeah, I know we're gonna be. In, I'm so excited. I've only recently really checked him out. I mean, I just read his new book, which I really liked. I mean, and I just, I've listened to his talk with you. And then I, I listened to a couple of his podcasts and I, I dig him a lot, man. I love how he does what he does. I love how he explains the things he's explaining and, and the whole energy that he carries is really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is, I know where, I know where. <clears throat> yes, Laura. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I hear it. We'll let the siren. Oh, I live in a city. There's sirens. What, what were you going to say? No, I was just saying we'll let the siren pass. I was going to oh. say uh, I wanted to get to because I'm curious. You know, we, we've talked about so you so you kind of had this this break and then you found, you know, you found yourself working at the store and then you got really into self-help. What have you done um, specific work on being an adult child of an alcoholic, an addict, uh have you done any work specifically on that? I haven't. You know, it's, um, it's, I would say, I mean, I haven't at all, no, is the answer, the quick answer to your question. And the, the thing I've realized, and I've realized this more in the past couple of years, is that so much of the work I've done or the healing work and the exploratory work, whatever you want to call it, it's really all been, it's been rooted in my parents' death you know, and the way that they died so much so that just in these past couple of years, I really started to look at on a, on a much deeper way, the, my relationship with my parents while they were alive and all yeah. the pain that was caused then, yeah. you know, that's a whole other layer, layer of, yeah. of fucked up stuff that went on before they died, but their death was so big and, and right. crazy that that took up it's taken up so much of of anything when i process my parents it's always around their death you know when people talk about it it's always around their their death so i can't i that just totally hit me how what a different kind of struggle that is because you most people get to like go to therapy and mourn their their relationship with their parents and work through their issues while their parents are still alive and there's got to be some kind of a, a little an extra layer of guilt even for processing the, the difficult parts of their and I'm projecting that on you but I'm just guessing it, it's interest it's a totally interesting dynamic that I that I didn't 
think of until you said it. No, it's true. And it's very, it's very real. And the truth is, I think, um, in some ways, I think the deeper pain I carry is, uh, is around my relationship with them while they were alive, especially with my dad. Yeah. You know, that's even more so than, than their death. And certainly, um, certainly pain around not having had the experience of parents throughout most of my life, you know, and, and when I'm, when I'm feeling sad about that, that's a very, you know, that's a sad, intense feeling, um, you know, not being able to relate to an experience that so many people relate to just and take for granted, like having parents, yeah. you know, and I, I had worked with a spiritual, spiritual teacher for many years in San Francisco. And one of the first things he said to me, um, not even as a joke, really, he said, he said, trust me, and, he, and this sounds callous, but it wasn't at all callous either. He said, trust me, you're lucky your parents died. He said, he said, you, you were, he said, people are so much more fucked up who have parents than you're ever going to be. Because you're that is definitely one way to look at it. Oh my God. I also yeah, think it's, it brings up another really beautiful point, which is there are layers. I mean, this is, you know, the layers of your story are, are, are um, severe on some level, but there's also, you know, for me, there's parts of, there's chunks of my life that I've just set aside um, because I don't think that you can do it all at once. And I don't think oftentimes you're even ready to do it all at once. And I think sometimes the work that you do on other yeah. things allow you to go back to those other periods of time. And so there's, you know, my teenage years, my early 20s are just sitting in a box like over there just just waiting you know just waiting Pandora's box <laughs> hanging out but I think it's such a really I, I, for me nothing else would there's no way I could have just brought it all out and lined it all up and you know worked through it all like honestly I think that a lot of this stuff has to come in stages and and in layers and so I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's I think that's yeah. universal I agree. I mean, ultimately, I don't believe you're ready to deal with it until you deal with it. Because yeah. if you if you haven't <laughs> dealt with it, some part of you is not ready to, you know. Right. And I think the beauty, one of the things I found about about life and, and personal growth, spirituality, whatever you call it, is that it doesn't take working on everything to serve everything. I think any work we do on ourselves, any work I do on one one area of my life is going to serve all those other areas. Yeah. And that's why we find, you may find suddenly you are ready to dig into that box of 18 to 25. And it will be, be it will be because of all the work you've done in your life on the other areas. Yes. So I think it's, I, I think life is really generous that way in terms of healing. Those of us, and I also don't think healing is for everybody. I don't think that, that everybody is here in this lifetime to be on a spiritual path and to uncover all their darkness. Yeah. I think that, that some people are, are fine just being blind to it and being numb to it and whatever. And, and if that's their journey, that's their journey. Yeah, you know? that's interesting too. I'm sure like, because you can get really, uh, if you, you know, I, I've done it, you get on a, a spiritual path and you get self-righteous about other people who should be. <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah and I think that's a, that's a great point because I think there's also everyone serves a or purpose society. in the big tapestry of things right and if you don't have certain I mean if you don't have every piece of the puzzle here then you don't have that opportunity like I, I think I've talked about this before when in one of our 
like I, can, I think in one of our episodes and I went off on a crazy tangent where I was just talking about how like the guy who stands on the corner who I see every day and I walk by every single day that's homeless, that has no teeth, that barely makes it by, that sleeps out in the cold on some level is serving a huge and beautiful purpose. And, and he's not on a spiritual path necessarily or he's not out there, you know, doing a meditation retreat. About, right. right. Well, exactly. But at the same time, every, you know, like if we were all on, you know, some huge, crazy spiritual journey and of, of healing, then, um, then we would miss out on a lot of, a, a lot of the, I think, juxtaposition and a lot of the variety that we actually need. So I, I think on some level, and I could get into like other lives here and crazy shit like that, but I love what you just said, which is exactly right. Not everyone is here for healing and, and some people are just completely, perfectly safe being blind to it or, or totally. on their own path. Yeah. And that's okay. It's frustrating if that person is someone close in your life, <laughs> and, you know, when you want to shake them and with your self-righteous attitude, which I've had many times, but. Right. Um, but they're here to teach the, you. What's the book? When did you write the book? What was the, when did you write your book and what was that all about? Like what brought that on? Cause you wrote the, you wrote the alien, I, which I, I need to write by the way. Can I have one. Where do I buy it? Yeah. You can get it on Amazon. Okay, great. I'm yeah. I, it's called Iris. Ah, yes. I've seen it all over your, your site. Okay. I yeah. didn't, I didn't well, just love was, um, you know, I, I was doing the Facebook thing and then I realized I had so many, I've, I've written so many of these posters and had so many different little blips and, and I thought, well, I could, you know, I could turn this into something, you know, I could, I, I want to, I love what's happening on Facebook and at the same time in this past year or two, I really am working at expanding myself beyond just Facebook, you know, and connecting, one, connecting in person with people, but also, you know, putting a book out there into the world. And then I had just finished reading Amanda Palmer's The Art of Asking. Um, have you guys read it? Do you yeah. love Amanda Palmer? I do. I, I do like her. I, um, I liked her before the, that book, but I, um, I do like it. I loved her TED Talk. Her, yeah, me too. That's when I was first introduced to her. And, you know, it was at the end of that book, I'm like, you know what, just do it. And, and what, what, and I did a Kickstarter campaign. That's how I funded the book. Cause the book is, it's a coffee table book. So it's hardcover with glossy photos and words. So it's, it was a little more expensive to produce than a typical book. Um, but I, I, I did it through Kickstarter and that was a massive for me, um, plunge into deep insecurity you know, deep fear of being judged of, um, you know, who am I to do this? Who am I to ask for money for this? Who, you know, all of the, all of those stories around putting your art out there and asking for people to not just receive it, but to pay for it. It was, uh, it was a trip, man. It was, it was, what did you learn? just to, to honestly in my life, just fucking do it. That's what I learned is one, I, one, I, that's where I am in my life right now. I am really in the mode of like fear is present all the time and I'm still just charging forward and making, making choices despite the fear, making choices along with the fear Yeah. because, because why not? Because why wouldn't we, why would I, why would I ever allow at this point in my life fear of judgment to prevent me from, from realizing the best possible life for myself? It's so crazy. It's it, that's, I, I really see it as crazy at this point. You know, people will judge us no matter what. That's right. So if they're, if they're going to judge me, let them judge me for my truth. And here is my truth. Here's who I am. You know, judge away if you want. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that that uh, yeah, we could. That's a whole a whole thing too. But I love that that was your like takeaway. That's awesome. 
<laughs> yeah, but like, it was... oh, you should plan or you should, you know. No, I don't. I know. I rarely plan as much as I should ahead of time. Um, But no. But it was a. It was a a great experience, and then it, you know, a a painful, great experience, provocative experience, and then it was successful. The campaign and the book was funded. And the moment it it was funded, I was like, oh my god, now I have to put a book out there, you know. And with (laughs) with Kickstarter, you these videos and in the video I'm like it's going to be the most beautiful book and it's going to you know you're you're it's all this set and I'm like, the bar oh, very high you, set, you set the bar very high and people are super excited to be a part of it um, but I'm really I'm I'm really pleased with how the book turned out as well and I put it and I did it that's the thing it's like you I think it was uh, I think it was your your talk with Elena Brower that I was listening to and and she said that she announces some things through social media and it helps her become accountable. And I completely relate to that. I I throw things out there on my Facebook page in part because I know that by doing so, it's going to, I'm, I'm going to push myself a little more to me. And it, and, and I believe use whatever it takes, you know, whatever tricks, whatever, whatever serves you along your path, um, use it, do it, you know? And I mean, a lot of people have done that with sobriety and it's certainly, Part of what I did, and you know, saying I'm 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 in, you know, this is what I'm doing. Way before I was uh, comfortable and ready, and you know, Holly's, but we've both been very vocal about it, and um, I think it's one of those experiences that, yeah, yeah. I, if you I wait until that. you're Use ready, whatever. you're never going to do whatever. it. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Because right. no one's ever ready. No for one's anything. ever ready. It's the upside ever. of social media. There's many downsides, but that can be one really beautiful thing about it. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Announcing our announcing ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't want to, you know, I work, we've gone way over now, like 20 minutes over. Oh, I'm, I'm, such, I'm good. I'm, ha- I'm happy. Yeah, thank I, you. I had one joy. last question. Do, do you have a few minutes to answer? Because I, oh, I just yeah, want to yeah, at yeah. least bring this up because it's it's something that you wrote that I absolutely love. And it's something I actually butt into and you actually made me think differently. So you wrote a post on HuffPo that was uh, titled, You Can Love Another Without Loving Yourself First. And I just was hoping that you would talk a little bit about that and how you came to that conclusion because I've actually – clung to and um and on some level maybe I haven't been a hundred percent sure about it but I really I have I have espoused that same idea there's this Osho poem that talks about how you have to tend your own garden before you can tend to another garden and that the first ripple of love flows from the heart and um I and it's so counter to all of that talk it's but it is really refreshing to read it so I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you came to that um, how you sure. how you came to that? Yeah. Sure. Well, first, let me say I really I do what you just said by Osho. I completely agree with. I mean, I think ultimately that the more work we do on ourselves, the more we have to offer the world. You know, the deeper our love is for ourselves, the deeper our love will be for everyone else. So I agree with that. Essentially, what I was what I was writing about is this notion. You know, there are all these rules in the world of self-help and personal development and these these rules drive me crazy and I know in some ways I think I'm I'm with some things I write I'm probably perpetrating them you know I'm saying these things and I'm putting these things out 
there and I don't want it to come across as, as you know, it must be this way, but that, that maybe is how they are, they're read, I don't know. But with, with the notion of you can't love another until you really love yourself, that one especially drives me crazy because I feel like all that does is make people believe that they can't connect with another, another in a truly loving yeah. way if they haven't done so with themselves. And the, the, the truth is most of us haven't done so with, with ourselves in an in a, in incredibly deep way. I mean, we're doing it the best we can, but if we held back from sharing our love with other people until we were completely self-loving, we would never love another person. And, and I've also found that it's through my relationships with other people that I've come to see myself differently, yeah. you know, that I've opened to different aspects of myself that maybe my my mind my ego my judgment and insecurity wasn't allowing me to see but when i'm able to see myself through the eyes of those who really love me and through the eyes of those i really love it it shifts things as well you know so yeah i just don't believe we have to we don't have to wait i we have we are all so loving as we are no matter where you are in your life you have love to offer the world so so don't i just don't don't believe that you don't you know, yeah. and no matter where you are in your life, you have more love to offer yourself. And my experience has been that the more I've grown in my self-love, the more love I've had to offer. So I still believe that that's true, but that's not saying that's different than saying you can't love another until yeah. you love yourself, yeah. or you can't forgive another until you forgive yourself. That I don't believe either. I think yeah. it's hardest to forgive ourselves. You yeah. know? Yeah, and I thought about it when I was reading it. One of the things that it just reminded me of is because I am such a loving person it's just I I am I think uh, I'm a puppy in some cases and I really feel that a lot of a lot of times when I connect with my heart the most or when I connect with that feeling of love that feeling inside of me and maybe it is self I mean who knows what the fuck it is but there's so many times that the the mo the most intense love that I feel is when I'm showing it to someone else. That's when I feel it within myself, even you know the most. Like when yeah. I when I'm with my mother or my niece, and I think my heart's just gonna explode. And so I loved how you'd said in that that um, that you were still working on your your own. Your, there was something that, that you would always be working on or you're still working. I can't remember the wording exactly. Um, and so, you, you know, something along the lines that we can't really wait until we're 100% in love with ourselves before we go out and we really, you know, show that love to other people. I think it really, it, it, I just thought it was so, such an important point because you never hear anybody say that. You never hear any, it is, it's like these rules. And it gives you sort of rules. a permission. Yeah, it's, it's like a nice permission to... To, to love, <laughs> yeah, because you... love. and I, I mean, I, I've experienced much the same too, Scott. Like feeling, um, learning to love myself through relationships, and and both, you know, feeling that person love me, and in a new way, and and then, you know, also going through really hard times and seeing how we respond. And I think it, it is a you explain it so well, and there's you should write you should write more about that. I think it's a big thing. I really do. Um, Because it's so easy to just slap that on and say, oh, don't go to a relationship yet. You're not ready. You know, you don't, you don't. Well, and you're talking about an addiction world too. I mean, there is, there's, there's also, you know, when you're first in sobriety, there's a lot of rules around being in a relationship. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sure. And I I think, I mean, for me, the idea of love in general is that any, love is such a pure energy that it's, 
all love is good when you're truly in the energy of love, when it's not being distorted or manipulated by the ego, you know, when there's not a but or because um, attached to love, but when it's in its purest form, it only serves. So whether you're loving someone else, whether you're loving yourself, it's feeding the energy of love. And that is a, a, an incredibly positive thing to continuously feed in our world. And our world is desperately in need of it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good place well, to end. Wonderful. You were amazing. It was so funny during like, I'm so glad we didn't do the video because there was just this like one point where I was like <laughs> streaming tears, but also like with this big <laughs> grin on my face. I looked crazy um it was you made me really cry yes it wasn't just me <laughs> no it was I started crying the second that you asked him the question the question we all knew you were going to ask him and um it was very charged and so and then just you taking us through your story and you're just such a beautiful person I mean it's just this is a really this is such a pleasure and I can't wait to meet you in person I, know. Uh, I can't believe we meeting each other in about a month and a half or two, whatever it is. That yeah. is super exciting. It is. I wish we and would have screen captured the moment on Skype. Where, where we, we all had our hands up. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. Really, really cool. And uh, listen, truly, truly, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really love what you're doing. I think it's important and beautiful. And you guys do it so well. So uh, for me, it's a huge honor. Thank you so much, oh. really. Thank you. The honor is all of all you of in us. LA. Yeah. All right. See you in LA and enjoy, um, enjoy Hawaii. Holly. Oh, I will. Huh? Or, or whatever. I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but whatever happens. <laughs> enjoy losing your mind. No, Thanks a lot, Scott. Bye. Infinitely so